So we hear the gospel first. Again, we're doing the gospel first and then Acts. Hear what it meant to be a part of the church. And hear at the end of this reading how we're supposed to approach all of this. David. People were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for them and said, Let the little children come to me and do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Holy wisdom, holy word. Now, as you hear this reading out of the book of Acts, again, look at where the power comes from and what happens as a result. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as, to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Cyprus Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is God's word. Let me just preface the sermon by telling you, and I know it's going to be a huge relief to you, that I'm not going to ask you to sell your homes and bring everything here to have in common. However, there is another part of this, and I'll get to that in just a minute. I just want to remind you of last week, what we talked about was agape love. Do you remember that? Agape love, that love that in, and for the Greeks, it was the lowest level of love. But Jesus took that love and that understanding of that Greek word and turned it on its ear. And it was an amazing event that happened in the life of those disciples represented by this pitcher, this bowl, and this towel. I want to remind you that what happened on that night was this was the night that he was with those closest to him. He had tried to teach them, had tried to encourage them, had tried to help them understand what it was that he was looking for in ministry. But it wasn't until that moment where he got up from the Passover supper and he took off his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around his waist. 
Now, the symbolism of that is that servants did that, and only the lowliest of servants then did what he did after that moment. There they were sitting and reclining at this triclinium table, three-sided table. And as you're reclining at the table to eat, your feet are away from the table. The reason that your feet are away from the table is because you don't want those close to food. Period. And it wasn't because their socks stunk. It was because of what they were walking through every day. You know what? They, they understood that only the lowest, lowliest of servants ever washed somebody's feet. But there Jesus was. And he wrapped that towel around and he took a basin and a pitcher and he poured water into it and he went disciple to disciple, washing their feet. Every single one of them. And in that one moment, in that one gesture, he completely redefined for them what it meant to be followers. Because at the end of doing that, what he said was, now, go and do likewise. Serve each other, serve God, serve each other, and serve the world. Over this past week, in looking back at some of the Gospels, and and rereading and trying to examine what it was that was at the center of Jesus. There were three things that continued to come to mind, and you will see those over and over. Those of you that received the stewardship got it in there. His first and foremost for Jesus, what he sought to do was be a lover of God. Everything he did, every act he did, everything he said at the root of all of that was his relationship with God. First and foremost, period, that was absolutely number one. And what I love about Luke's writing is that what he does is he identifies that in the name that he mentions at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke and at the beginning of Acts, that name Theophilus, beloved of God. And again, whether it was a real person, many believe it was, or whether what Luke was trying to do was say, you need to know, first and foremost, that you are beloved of God, and that first and foremost, you are to be God lovers. It was at the foundation of everything Jesus did. Everything. And he tried to transfer that in whatever way he could to that group of disciples closest to him. So number one was love God. Number two was love each other. The love that he tried, that agape love that he tried to spread, particularly on that night, but really throughout his life, to help those closest to him understand what that meant. Every action that he took for them, every time he spent with them, every teaching he did for them was to try and instill in them not only that love of God, but the absolute necessity of them loving each other. And I want to remind you that that group was not of one mind. They weren't. They were one of the most diverse groups you'll ever find in Scripture. They were a motley crew, most of them Galilean, which means that they were not necessarily incredible followers of Judaism. They were kind of scattered in their understanding, and yet there they were. And again, at that table were, were Levi, the tax collector, the most hated among Jews. And there was Judas sitting there, the one who was going to betray him. And there was Peter sitting there, the one who lied about even knowing him. But they were there. 
and they followed. And they learned over time to love each other. Love God, love each other. And then the really significant piece, the third piece for Jesus was serving the world. Jesus, no matter who stepped in front of him, no matter who was there for him, no matter who they were or what they were or where they came from or how they lived, if they were in need of healing, Jesus healed them. There is never a time that we see in any of the Gospels. He didn't do that. He healed them. That was part of his service to the world. But it wasn't just that. He also sought to reestablish what the church was all about and taught to teach and, and demonstrate all of that. Love of God, love of each other, service to the world. And what I just defined for you is also what defined the early church. As we look at the book of Acts, we see this over and over and over again. Every time this group came together, what did they do first? They prayed. They celebrated what was going on. And yes, what you heard David read was they brought all of their possessions together so that the whole community would not be in need. It was how life was to be lived that way, very communally. And, and, and what we also see, if you look the, the next chapter beyond what was read, is you, you meet Ananias and Sapphira. These two who decided that it was okay for them to withhold part of who they were to try and gain the benefits of the community and then lie about it. Now, the judgment that they received was a little severe. They, they died. So what does that tell you? Tom's nodding his head back here, right? Okay, good, good. You're not going to die. But let me tell you this. What kills a church, and you have on the front of your bulletin a picture, and Wendy and I talked about whether this should be the picture on the front. What is that church? Is it a church anymore? Or is it an empty, dilapidated, falling-down building? The lesson from this of Ananias and Sapphira and the bringing together of those things that we have for the work of God in the world is important. But what will prevent that and what will stop that before anything is, is when a church decides that it's not important enough to tell the truth to each other. When a church decides that it's okay to communicate in ways that are, that are not healthy. And what that does is it begins to deteriorate a church around the edges. And believe me, before I was a pastor, I saw it in churches. Now, 20 years, I've seen it in churches. And what happens as it begins to crumble around the edges is then they lose focus. And what becomes this, the topic of discussion is no longer loving God, loving each other, and serving the world. What becomes the topic for discussion is, what are you going to do about Harriet? Can you believe what she did? Can you believe that she talked to me that way? I, I shared with you in Santa Monica one of the things that was really fun, and I'm sick this way, is after church going out, and they had a three-story parking lot. I've, I've shared this with you before, and it's all three stories are underground. And people believe that they could go to the second story of the parking lot and start talking trash about other people in the church. But what happens invariably is sound rises, especially when surrounded by concrete. And what began to crumble at the edges of that church were those kinds of conversations. And what I kept trying to preach, but I was only the associate pastor, 
But what I kept trying to teach was we can't do this in the parking lot. We have to do this face to face and do it out of a relationship built on love. Love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Because first and foremost, we are called to love God. Second, we are called to love each other. And sometimes that love comes in a tough way. But if we are to truly become the church of Jesus Christ, if we are truly to become everything that God wants Aldersgate to be, that's one of the things we've got to continue to do well. And I don't mean just communicate criticisms. I also want us to communicate praises. I don't need them. Well, maybe I do on occasion. We all do. Come on. I mean, we do. It's part of who we are. I'm not looking for that in this sermon. Because let me go to the third piece of this now. Janet, who's sitting in the back, knows how I feel about this. One of the most amazing things for me was usually when you become the pastor of a church, you get one sheet of paper describing the church. And usually on that one piece of paper to describe the church where you're going to serve is is one paragraph that says, this is the foundation of the church. I got 36 pages. And it wasn't just descriptions. It, it, was, it was incredible. I mean, pictures of the parsonage and, and the gardens that Alice had created. And, and then on top of that, if that wasn't enough, then I get a 72-page document with your pictures and descriptions about who the leaders are in the church and where you serve. Are you kidding me? I, I, I called my dad and I said, I have come to heaven. But I got a lot of reading to do. But in the midst of that document was this one sentence. And let me just read it. It, it, There's a descriptive sentence before it. It says, and by the way, Janet didn't make this up. It says, for over five years, we have summarized our vision at AUMC as follows. Now, what I would love to do is give everybody a piece of paper and say, write down the statement that I'm going to read right now. And just to see how many of us have this. For over five years, we have summarized our vision at AUMC as follows. We gather all people, heal and transform them in grace, and send out passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. Does that statement sound familiar to you? Oh, please say yes. Five years. I have read and reread that statement uh, no less than 30 or 40 times. In the, in the reading and rereading of that statement, what I have been looking for is, is this true? In my consulting practice, one of the things I did, particularly in organizational development, was go into communities or go into corporations, and one of the things that I would ask for initially was the vision statement. Where are you headed? What is the vision of this organization or this community? What, what are you looking at? beyond today and then spend six weeks in examination of whether or not that was true and then ask the question the very simple question so how is this being implemented on a daily basis in this place and if it's not being implemented if it's not defining what we are seeking to become then why not so I want to check some things out with you this morning about that statement And in the midst of checking these out with you, I want to assure you 
that this is a discussion. These are simply observations. And what I'm looking for is agreement or disagreement or even clarification. Help me understand this more deeply. What you are seeking to do part one, what you are seeking to be is a place where all people feel welcome. Is that accurate? Okay. Are you trying to be a place where all people are welcome? Because those are two very different things. Feeling welcome is a surface kind of feeling. We can feel welcome by creating all kinds of atmosphere in in here. But are you seeking to be a place where all people, all, A-L-L, capital A-L-L, all people are welcome? Are you truly seeking to be that kind of place? That's the more significant question to me. Are you seeking to be a place where even those who feel hurt or damaged or insecure or lost or alone or those who are really confident feel as though they have a place here? Are you seeking to be a place where all people, even those with whom you soundly and strongly disagree, feel welcome or are welcome? Are you seeking to be that place? Second to that, is this a place of healing or even transformation? Where everything truly is done in an atmosphere of grace or servant-centered love. No matter the ill, is healing available here? No matter the situation, is healing available here? And what do you mean by transformation? Because transformation speaks of something of going from here and becoming this. Transformation. And what I'm looking for is, how is that happening? And who is responsible for that? Third, as people are healed, even transformed, What are the signs that say that they become passionate about that which has healed them? What are the signs and obvious things that happen that say, I am now passionate about that which has transformed me as a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, I'll tell you, at first service, when I began to talk about these things, what immediately happened was every head went down. Well, almost every head went down. The purpose of me asking these questions is not for you to feel lacking or wanting or guilty. It's not. I really am asking the question. Because what that statement is, is one of the most powerful statements of vision I have ever seen in a church. Bar none. Because what you've identified in that statement is the potential for a process through which people can move through which people can be engaged no matter who they are or where they come from, as soon as they walk in the door, they feel as though they are at home. That when they walk in the door, what they've walked into is, the, is that, that, that almost living room area, that ante room, that place where you know that you've come home. And then if they turn left, they walk into the family room. Or if they turn right, they walk into the living room. And they look at you and they talk to you and they feel how you are as an accepting place. But that's only the beginning. 
That's the opening. That's the door that opens up. Second to that is they have to feel as though they have come to a place that has the potential of healing them no matter what that healing may need to be. And that there is a potential transformation because what they see almost immediately or what they hear about is what's happened in your life. The transforming power, not just in the relationships you have with each other, but the relationship you have with Christ. That's at least the the more significant piece of transformation. Because otherwise, how then do you move to the next step, which is becoming passionate? That was the word. Passionate disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. But see, here's the fun part about this, friends. I don't think we're quite there yet. I don't think if I was asked to ask you what is the system by which this is happening or how is it being tracked or what are those significant pieces that allow this to happen of that initial opening and acceptance of all and then the moving toward transformation moving us more and more and more toward being those passionate disciples. So the fun part about this is also the challenging part about this. Because I think underneath all of that, what I've seen are pieces, pieces throughout. And the place I see that, two places I see that most significantly are your outreach I am not saying your, our, our outreach, how we reach out in the community. And by golly, you know what you do in the community is heal and transform. And it's so obvious there. It's less obvious here. So here's the goal. This year, what we're going to do, if you allow me to help, what we're going to do is we're going to build on those three things, our love of God, our love of each other, and our service to the world. And we're going to look at each of these pieces. How are we welcoming people here? We don't have that connections coordinator anymore. So how are we going to do this to welcome people? And what if it wasn't just up to her? What if it was up to all of us? What are those places specifically in the church that will heal? What are those places in the church that we're doing that will transform? And what will happen? What does it mean to be a passionate disciple of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? And you know what? I'll give you the answer right now. It's going to look like a bunch of different things. But until we identify what that is, we don't know where we're going. I want us to know where we're going and a process by which we can move through to get there. And this is fun stuff. And that brings me to this. You know, it was fun because I heard for the first time about the harvest dinner. I said, what's the harvest dinner? So, friends, what's the harvest dinner? What? It's a celebration. It's, it's, it's like the ultimate Thanksgiving with the huge family. Isn't it? And I asked him, and the other question I ask is, so... When you say it's like Thanksgiving for the big family, does that mean you're going to have all that food there? And you know what I got? Yes. (laughs) So my response to that is, where's the fun committee in this church? 
Where's the committee? What's the committee that allows us and moves us toward loving each other even more where we can celebrate each other? And the relationships we have, where is the opportunity where we can deepen those relationships here? We're doing a great job in the community. We're doing an okay job of welcoming people, but I haven't seen a whole lot of places yet where the whole family's together. Where we have two services worshiping in different ways, but one body united. So anybody want to serve on the fun committee? You think I'm joking. I'm not joking. Next charge conference, I want that committee. And you know what? I'm happy to chair it. Yeah, there's Lee. I've just written, and I close with this, I've just written my pastor report for charge conference. I wish I'd brought it with me because I would, I would say out loud the seven words that I use to describe you. Dedicated, gifted, talented. Uh, there, there just, there's so many words that describe who you are. And what an incredible privilege it has been over these four months to get to know you even more. We've got another meet and greet tonight and another one first week in November. Because what I have found is a church absolutely filled with grace, a church absolutely filled with giftedness and talent, dedication. And what I have found is a church that uh, understands what it means to be a passionate disciple of Jesus Christ played out in a wide variety of ways. But what I hope to do this year is to bring that together in a way that is kind of sequential and looking at how we move folks through this process to create those passionate disciples. What you've identified in that vision statement is evangelism and discipleship, pure and simple. And won't it be great? Won't it be great a year from now to say, now let's look at this. Here's where we are loving God. Here's where we are loving each other. And here's where we're serving the world. In as simple a statement as that, I will tell you again, I can't wait to continue this process to help us define more clearly not only who we are but where we're going. What an incredible privilege it is to be in this church at this time. You are an incredible family in the best sense of the word. Thank you for all you've done, and let's have a blast this year as we look at further definition. Will you pray with me? Lord God, there's no question but that you love us. And sometimes we hesitate in that. And there's no question but that we love you, and we're continually trying to figure out how to express that. I thank you for this place where anyone can come in and that there is transformation that happens here, not just because of you, but because of the love that is here in this place, that agape love, that service, servant-hearted love. Help us to, to deepen our relationships with each other and have fun together. And help us continue to see not only how, but why we seek to serve the world. Guide us as your disciples. Strengthen us as a church. All this we ask in the powerful name 
of Jesus Christ. Amen.